Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the verse we're looking at today, which is the next beatitude in our series on uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. As I was thinking about what stories we could look at from the Bible that might shed some light on what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, I thought of a guy that we've come to call the rich young ruler. Now, even if you know nothing about this guy, you already know three things about him, right? He has wealth, youth, and power. Blessed, right? But for some reason, this guy still came to Jesus asking what he needed to do to get eternal life. I think he thought he was like 90% there, which I totally get. I've done this. And he just needed like that last little push. Um, so here's a video. This is a couple guys take on what the rich young ruler might have looked like today, just after his encounter with Jesus. So let's take a look at this. Give up. Everybody will want something. Come on, just come back with me, okay? 
We can work it out. It's not good. If you don't have a chance, how do any of us have a chance? I think it was this guy's gospel of rules that I knew years before I really met Jesus. Um, the funny thing is I'm absolutely nowhere near as put together as him. <laughs> I am a stay-at-home mom, which sounds cute to anyone who's never done it. Um, my, my son is actually sitting. This, this is really awesome. My son is sitting in the preschool class right now in a swimsuit <laughs> because... My parents graciously took him overnight last night, so that took both my kids overnight last night, so that we could uh, get ready and everything. And I packed up their clothes, right? I forgot to pack clothes for my son, so that that's exactly. You, some of you were like really disappointed that it wasn't going to be Corey speaking this morning, but you should just be glad that I'm fully clothed because that is the kind of stupid that I do. Um, the funny thing is, though, uh, oh yeah, this one I. I found a great illustration of my life. All these moms are on Pinterest making their own soap and reindeer-shaped treats, and I'm all like, I took a shower and kept the kids alive. Pretty much a summary of my life. Um, the funny thing about that is that even though I'm pretty much a hot mess most of the time, I really love rules. I love things being the way they ought to be. I love things being at right angles. I love everything, you know, making sense. And I think in a way we're all like that. We sort of have a clue that things are not the way they're supposed to be um, in the world. And if we're really honest with ourselves in us, too. Sometimes some little thing hits us in the face, like the fact that we get mean to our family members if we're sleep deprived or when something doesn't go the way we planned it and it's frustrating. But other times are worse, aren't they? Sometimes your whole world crashes down and makes you feel all the way to your bones that this is not the way it's supposed to be. You lost the one thing you never thought you would lose, and you have no idea how you can go on in the world as it is now. You see something so painful that you can't not know it anymore. Someone betrays you and it hurts more than you thought possible. A huge crash in the background announces that the world is not what you thought. That is so much worse than you thought. And that you will never be the same if you can figure out how to live in it at all. When you are witness to the brokenness of this world... You can't go on the same way. Making it right goes from want to need, and you long for something better, something to light a candle in this awful dark that you previously could not imagine. You want it made right. You want yourself made right. 
you hunger and thirst for righteousness. How on earth could that condition be blessed? You're past the end of your rope. You're feeling hopeless and desperate for the world to be made right. You're broken by the circumstances of your life. In a way, it kind of sounds like the rich young ruler has a better plan, doesn't it? But the next part of the verse is where Jesus does what Jesus does best. Which is turn everything we know about life on its head. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Wait a minute. The only way to fill people who hunger and thirst for righteousness is to give them righteousness and bring righteousness to the world. That's impossible, right? Revelation 21, 3 through 5 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, for those of you following along, that's Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Are you kidding me? That's too good to be true, isn't it? God beating sin and death forever. Can you imagine that? All things new. Not Honda certified, not almost as good, not broken, but workable. New. Sometimes this life feels like a war. With all the carnage, all the fear, all the senselessness that go along with war. The reason it feels like that is that it is a war. This is God's war on sin and death, and he will win it. He is with us now in our suffering and our sorrow, but this time will not last forever. And comfort in our loss is not his only solution. He will beat sin and death forever. That means no more abuse and injustice, no more rape and murder, no more families ripped apart by addictions or affairs, no death. No death. And the greatest part is that his kingdom can start in you today. If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness inside of you, if you're brave enough to jump, he's got a whole new life for you. His righteousness, his justice, starting in you. The thing is this, God is going to get us there, but not our way. So I have an illustration for you. Some of you may know that my amazing husband, Jeff, graduated from the Culinary Institute of America, which is the most prestigious culinary school in the country and possibly the world. And um, I did not. And the way that I cook, I always joke with my friends, the first thing they say when I say, you want to come over for dinner? Dinner, they say, is Jeff cooking? Uh, the way that I cook is very similar to the way that I deal with sin 
and difficulties in my own life, which is badly. So I'm going to make some soup here. We're going to start with my bad choices. Those are the potatoes. But here's the thing, you guys. It's not that bad. It's just kind of boring. So I think I'm going to do some pepper um, and kind of like spice it up a little bit. The thing is, um, that is kind of like I I really um, made a lot of resolutions my whole life. So I'm going to put a little resolution. You know, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to put a little pepper in there. But the thing is, like, I don't keep the resolutions. So I just make more of them. And I add and add and add. But, you know, maybe the real problem is that I'm just not, like, fired up, you know? Like, I need some oomph. I need some emotion. So what I might do is maybe go on some retreats. Do you guys like retreats? I love retreats. I always come back just feeling so fired up and gung-ho. But the thing about it that's unfortunate is the retreat effect kind of goes away. And so I need to go on, like, one retreat every month um, to just kind of try to keep it going. But, you know, retreats are really expensive, um, so then we did Dave Ramsey, and so I've got some rice and beans um, to try to fix the retreat problem here. But, you know, um, another thing that makes me feel really good and, and that might fix the soup and fix all the problems is worship. I just, I love worship. Um, I love the songs that Ryan chooses. I love uh, our band and everything, and it's so good. And it feels so comforting to me, and it reminds me of chocolate milk. I secretly love doing this to you. Okay. And, you know, the thing is, though, that worship is only on Sunday mornings. And so I think one thing that would be really good for me is to have my true love. And so I found my true love, Jeffrey, and he loves to put vanilla in everything. Um, I asked him what, what, I, what, what should represent true love, and he said vanilla. So put a little vanilla in there. Mm. But the problem, you know, in church, in high school and uh, college, when you find your true love, you've got to be really careful. So I did like 10 of those purity pledge things. And so we're going to call that extra virgin olive oil. (laughs) Pour a little of that in there. It's okay. It's not that bad. You guys, the soup is really bad. Um, So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do denial. So hot sauce, if you pour hot sauce in it, you can't taste anything. So I'm just going to just pour some denial in my soup. That'll be fine. Anybody want my soup? Me neither. The soup looks terrible, you guys. This is like the best soup I can do. But you know what? Um, my wonderful husband made some soup. And this is the actual Culinary Institute of America. In our, in our house, CIA doesn't stand for like some government thing. It's the Culinary Institute of America. This is the CIA recipe for gazpacho. It's a summer, um, cold summer soup. In fact, they, the worship team was asking me between services if they could have some because it smells so good up here. So this has all the right ingredients in it. Um, it is awesome soup. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take this 
and just pour it into my soup. Some people are like ready to seriously come up here and stop me. Because you won't even be able to taste it, will you? It'll just ruin both soups. But the thing is, we kind of do the same thing with Jesus, don't we? We treat Jesus like a new method of self-improvement from our terrible repertoire. One of my favorite professors in college, Dr. Sarah Sumner, she was from Texas, and she used to say, everybody wants to stir a little Jesus in their soup, but nobody wants to pour out the bowl. You see that I am a terrible cook, so don't take it the wrong way when I tell you that you too are a terrible cook. You might have different stuff in your soup, but it stinks just as bad as mine. Maybe you've got some pain pills in there or some shopping, or maybe you've got some rage or some excessive Bible studies, but in the end, the result's exactly the same. Your strategies are terrible, just like my strategies. So here's me saving you 20 years of heartache. Are you ready? You cannot make yourself righteous. Hear me. You cannot make yourself righteous. You cannot make things okay in the world, and you can't make things okay in yourself. Your soup stinks. But God is in the business of making things new. God has new soup for you. But you have to pour out the bowl. Some of you are like, cool, bowl dumped, moving on. (laughs) If sin and death has really gotten you, that may be it. But I know a lot of you are probably like me. You're under the delusion that maybe you're doing fine. Maybe your soup is not that bad. It just needs some hot sauce. If you are in that place, I'm going to give you three ideas for how to get to a place where you need God enough that you're ready to pour out the bowl on your own soup. I'm going to call them spiritual disciplines, but know that if there's like some official list of spiritual disciplines out there, they're not on it. I made them up. These are Alyssa's made up spiritual disciplines. I call them that because I feel that they give you the opportunity to be closer to God. They will not make you righteous either, so don't stir them into your soup. The first one I want to give you is the discipline of discomfort. The thing is, we all hate this because we like being comfortable, right? We live our whole lives doing things, usually buying things, to make things easier and more comfortable. But Jesus replaced comfort with radical love. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, 
safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Many of you know that Jeff and I met as a couple of young nerds in high school youth group. (laughs) He's totally going to kill me for this. In high school, I was super involved in the choir at my school, and it had this, like, geek chic thing going on at the time, kind of a glee effect. Um, But Jeff still kind of had his Clark Kent glasses on. I didn't know he was Superman yet. He was shy and quiet. He had a few close friends, but overall, he pretty much just hated high school. So when he called and asked me to go see a play on a Friday night, it was kind of like a novelty. And I I was sort of like shocked in agree, into agreement. I think it was a, one of the first times I had ever actually heard him talk. And I was like, well, oh, okay. Um, and we... We dated a little bit, but we were not committed at all. And I had the situation totally under control. My heart was safely tucked away, well away from where it could be broken. Fast forward almost 10 years of friendship, and I finally had enough experience dating to know how incredibly rare Jeff was in his compassion, honesty, selflessness, and steadiness. I had been through an abusive relationship, and I was basically starting life over again with major trust issues, living with my parents, kind of at the bottom of the rung. And meanwhile, Jeffrey had realized his dream of going to culinary school in New York. And as we were talking on the phone, he was describing this really good-looking Brazilian girl that he was going on walks with and stuff. The game had changed. I knew I couldn't just take Jeff or leave him. And I was terrified. I called my sister. I remember calling her and I said, look, I'm in love with Jeff. And we were just friends at the time. And and, uh, I said, I don't know how this is going to end, but I'm not going to end it. And he doesn't have a clue how I feel. So if I don't act fast, he's going to be with that Brazilian girl and I'm going to be crying in my chocolate milk. So my sister uh, helped me buy a plane ticket to New York and I flew there and I stood in front of Jeff um, after something like 10 years of being best friends and told them I was in love with them. So vulnerability had really changed the game, hadn't it? There was a difference in my investment into the situation. We hate vulnerability. We hate it. I didn't like it at the time. I remember at one point I put on one of the outfits as I was packing for the trip and went to my friend and said, if you had three dinners to make your best friend fall in love with you, would you wear this to one of them? I was so afraid to be vulnerable. And I was trying to work the situation with the least amount of vulnerability. We do that all the time. We like to keep our distance. We like to keep our comfort Not just with romantic love. You know what I'm talking about. All kinds of love. We're surrounded by hurting people. But we never get close enough to know. Because it's uncomfortable. But every once in a while, we step out of our comfort. And something beautiful happens. We are so uncomfortable that we hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness. The second made-up spiritual discipline I want to suggest is proximity. 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit, says Psalm 34:18. Bono, the lead singer of God's favorite band, U2, put it this way. God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. God says he is near the brokenhearted. But often we as Americans and we as Christians separate ourselves from the poor, the hurt, the abused, people who are not like us. Because it makes us so uncomfortable just to be near them. And we wonder where God is. God is near them, turning everything we know about life upside down, as usual. We got licensed for foster care in October of 2011 and have been near some children who are so brokenhearted that it hurts just to witness it. There have been times when I thought I literally could not go on. Couldn't live with the hurt that I was trying to help these precious children carry. And I'm the adult. But that painful space is also a sacred one. I got into foster care thinking God had abandoned the children living there. But I discovered that God was already there. And when I got close to their pain, I hungered and thirsted for his righteousness. And it made me think, I wish I got close to that more often. The final idea I have to help yourself dump out your soup is the discipline of struggle. The thing is, if you make yourself uncomfortable by getting closer to people who are brokenhearted, and hurting and marginalized, you're going to create some questions for yourself and you're going to create some hurt for yourself. In church, we tend to see struggle as the opposite of faith, taking away from your faith. But right now, what I want to suggest is that struggle is an integral part of your faith, that it adds to your faith. A few years ago, I had a struggle that led me to a profound experience with God. I was very pregnant with Evan and, yeah, and chasing around one-year-old Lilia. And I discovered that my next-door neighbor was also pregnant. I tried to make conversation with her about it, and she was sort of quiet with a pasted-on smile. After a while, she shared with me that her precious baby girl had a lot of problems. And that they didn't expect her to survive to full term. The family was ecstatic when they arrived at full term and baby Lily was born at Phoenix Children's Hospital. She was there for about three months and things were looking okay. So they planned to care for her special needs at home. They were getting ready to transfer her home. And um, one night we passed them as we were coming home and they were leaving. And they said they had gotten a call to come to the hospital. And baby Lily passed away. I went to her funeral 
And I think the casket was 24 inches. And it was covered with pink roses. And all I could think was, where was God? As I was able to take my beautiful baby boy home, my neighbor had to watch our family come and visit Evan's car seat, go back and forth, the joy in my house. And her baby never left the hospital till she was in a casket. Where was God? Around the same time, I was following the sweet romance of a college friend of mine named Shane. Shane is one of the most fun guys you will ever meet. Now he's all professional. He's a psychologist with a Ph.D. But what I will never forget about Shane is when my heart was broken into pieces in college by his roommate, actually. Shane took me out to Krispy Kreme and got a dozen donuts and we split them down the middle. And there is nothing as good for a broken heart as Krispy Kreme and Shane. Just being himself. He was so fun. And when I knew Shane, he never had a girlfriend. Um, but keeping up with him on Facebook, I discovered that he had developed a deep love for a wonderful woman named Praise from our college days. All I could think was how glad I was that things had worked out so well for a great guy like Shane. Well, they had been friends for a long time. They were kind of parallel to me and Jeff. They had been friends for a very long time. And then they fell in love with each other and things were going great. And suddenly, praise died. It turned out it was some genetic thing and it was always going to happen right then. And Shane was broken. He was so devastated. There are no words. And I wondered... Where was God? I tried to make sense of it, and I came up empty. What explanation could there possibly be that would make this okay? In the end, I finally just let God have it. I prayed a very angry prayer, asking God, What were you thinking? Where were you? How could you let these things happen? And God waited till I was quiet. Does he do that with you? And in that moment, I felt him speak back. And he said, you think you hate death. I hated death before you were born. That's what this whole thing is about. In that moment, I felt God's anger at death itself. And I understood that when he came to this world to be with us, it was an all-out war on sin and death that was killing his kids. Corey Tenboom, a Holocaust survivor, um, who she's a Christian leader uh, who passed away, I think, about 10 years ago. And her sister was killed by guards at a camp in Germany. She was beaten to death. She said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. In my struggle, I learned that I was not alone. God's love was already there. Fighting against sin and death to save his children. He was glad I had finally showed up. 
He was glad I had joined him in loving my neighbor and loving my friend. And he was glad I had joined him in hating sin and death with a passion at the level of a need. A hunger and thirst for things to be right. Starting with me. Because of my struggle, I finally poured out the bowl. So I'm going to ask you, what is in your bowl that is so great that you can't let it go? God is making all things new as we speak. And he wants to start in you today. Maybe some of you have been down some road outside of Christianity. Maybe some of you are like me and you've been down some road inside of Christianity trying to make yourself righteous. But you've got to pour out the bowl. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you said... We are blessed when we hunger and thirst for your righteousness because we will be filled. And we are here today pouring out the bowl of all of our strategies and all of our resolutions and our attempts to make ourselves righteous. God, trying harder doesn't work, but we have tried as hard as we can. And now we're going to try giving up. God, fill us with your righteousness. Send your Holy Spirit to make us new. In Jesus' name, amen.